Good evening, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Ivan, welcome, and, and also a big welcome to Rob Risk um, from Susquehanna, uh, who has joined us tonight to give us, uh, I guess, some insights from a market maker's perspective. And uh, I know a lot of the people on session tonight are options traders, so the floor will be open for questions. We're very much going to treat this as a bit of a Q&A session. Um, and, um, yeah, look, a great opportunity to hear directly from a market maker. So, Rob, thank you very much for taking the time and joining us tonight. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. And uh, we were going to be joined by Graham O'Brien from the ASX, but Graham's had uh, a, 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 a something come up um, at the last minute, family uh, issue. So he's uh, tending to that. So um, we won't be joined by Graham. I'm sure he'll come uh, next week for the panel discussion. Um, so very quickly, um, uh, I'm also here uh, for the for the summit series. The co-host Ivan Chirilov, who the CEO of Markets. Uh, is also with us tonight for this conversation. And I think what we'll do tonight is um, have a bit of a chat with Rob about, um, you know, uh, what it is that uh, market makers go through, some of the things that impact uh, options pricing. And then I thought what we might do from there is jump into the options trading game, uh, look at the pricing up options and, and strategies and, and talk about some of the things that will impact uh, the pricing of your option and also how you can go and look at uh, payoff diagrams and price matrix uh, and, and other such tools to get better insights to uh, what you should be paying for an option and what impact um, the different factors, uh, share price, uh, time and uh, uh, employed volatility can have uh, on, the, on your option, on, on, on your trade. So uh, that is what we're going to cover tonight. Uh, thank you very much to everyone for taking the time to join us. This is uh, the fourth session of the Trading Summit. Next week we have a panel discussion uh, on the market and uh, we're going to extend it to a sixth week uh, because we added in uh, the opportunity to have Rob join us. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll do a sixth week where we'll be looking at all the different tools that you can use as an options trader uh, to seek out data, help decision making, get trade ideas and get broad, broader market information. And we'll do that on the, in the sixth week. So any advice contained in tonight's presentation is general only. It doesn't take into consideration your personal circumstances and you need to decide for yourself whether it's appropriate for you. Past returns are not an accurate indicator of future returns. And if you want to be a trader, it doesn't matter if you're trading options or some other trading instrument, uh, as a general rule, trading is a risky game. And you need to know what you're doing. And uh, if you go into it and you're not educated and you don't put in the work to understand, become an expert in the area that you're uh, pursuing, uh, the most likely outcome, in fact, probably the only real outcome for you is that you're going to ultimately lose money if you continue to do it. And, and so getting educated, staying across what's going on in the market um, and, um, and to continuing to learn is, is vital if you're going to trade. Anyone that tells you there's any shortcuts, um, well, that you can form your own opinion about that. But um, these sessions are about giving you that extra the extra insights, introducing you uh, to a range of different industry experts and professional traders uh, and the like so that you can continue to learn and get insights of how other people uh, who are successful um, uh, go about it. All right. There you go. Um, and I'll bring up Susquehanna's um, uh, disclaimer, uh, which um, oh, just rolls off the page, but um, I think the last two things are ETO or ETF um, on this page. Um, so we'll let there. So Rob, welcome, welcome along uh, to the session. Um, 
I'll just skip through this stuff. Um, and we've spoken about reach markets a little bit in the weeks and, and implied volatility and, and what we do here. Um, and uh, for anyone that's interested in taking a trial of our platform, our trading technology, uh, just type in yes at any time tonight and we'll set you up for a 30-day trial. In fact, I think there's a special on at the moment for people that are playing the game. While they're playing the game, uh, they get an extra month on a trial. So if you type in yes, um, then we'll get you set up for that. And um, obviously, we'll have a look at the... If you're trading with the options game, you're using the same technology as the implied volatility platform. So, Rob... Um, how did you become? How did you get into uh, doing what you're doing today? Could you give us a little bit of on your background? Yeah, well, I guess that's. Um, yeah, I think with any you know with any career, sometimes you fall into these things a bit. I mean, I went. I worked in London and on a sort of equities trading desk for a couple of years straight out of university. And when I came back to Australia, um, I ended up sort of per chance, I guess going through a recruitment agent or something and ended up at Susquehanna. And um, I had a stint there for about seven years um, where I was market making and trading for the guys there. Um, I think as that sort of as that slide so shows you, I spent some time at City and Merrill's in between and then um, fast forward a few years and I've circled back around and now have more of a business development role with Susquehanna. And I guess the idea there is to sort of, you know, let the market know who we are as a business um, and what we do. And um, so I think purely, Patrick, to be honest, I mean, I sort of I sort of fluked my way into this industry, really. I mean, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but um, I, I, remember, I remember back when I was at uni and whatever else, the one thing I did enjoy was financial markets. So maybe that's a bit of an indication. When you like that, you end up where, you know, you end up where, you, where your sort of enjoyment goes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, in terms of, um, you know, your experience as a trader, I think we, we spoke some time ago um, on one of the Those That Can Do sessions and um, you had some great insights into, I guess, what sort of some of the things that people need to be, I guess, uh, focused on if they're going to be trading for themselves. I mean, what would you, what advice would you give to people that perhaps are uh, new to trading or, um, you know, learning the ropes uh, that would lead them towards becoming a successful trader one day? Yeah, I think as a, you know, you have you really have to learn your craft. That's for sure. I think you, you're gonna you're gonna find that there's um, periods where things don't go your way. Um, but if you understand what you're doing and you and you believe you, you you have the knowledge, then I think that's a that's a big part of it. Um, you know, it's some I guess some traders you can and you you read about these guys in the paper or on the you know on the web. These guys, you know, they they naturally get at some of these people and they start as absolute guns. Um, and I think, you know, that's not always the case. And I think, you know, with a lot of people who have a, who have a massive interest in the market, it's, it's just experience. Um, it's learning from your mistakes. It's, you know, taking the, taking the good with the bad. And it's, a, it's sort of a, you know, it's a bit of a love being involved in the markets because they will hurt you from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, uh, for those of you, for, for those people who... Um, uh, and new to options and sort of haven't come across a market maker, could, would you be able to sort of, how would you, what's the best way of explaining the role of a market maker um, in yeah, the ETO I mean, market? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, I mean, the, the basic role of a market maker is to, is to provide liquidity um, to to the greater market, to the broader market. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, they play a pretty important function. 
because without without a market maker, and this applies to other products as well, like ETFs, which is what Susquehanna does as well. But you know, for <laughs> options, if they're not on the screen, um, you know, there is no bid, there is no offer, and you don't really know what something's worth. And I guess you know, a business like Susquehanna spends a lot of money on uh, putting together models and making sure that we think we know what's fair value based off you know historical volatility pricing or implied volatility in the in the future. So we so we so we spend a lot of time providing that liquidity into the market, and that's and that's kind of our big function, our major role. Um, obviously, we we sort of align ourselves with the exchanges because they have requirements about how how you know where we have to be in the market and what size we have to show on the bid and the offer. So there's all those sort of elements that go into it. But essentially, I think the best way to look at it, Patrick, is that you know we are a you know we're effectively a liquidity provider. Yep. And what do you think? Um in terms of the the state of the, the you know how many market makers there are in Australia and um, the participation of market makers, do you think at what at what what stage do you think we're at? Is it I mean a few years ago there seemed like um, mm-hmm. it weren't enough and we lost a couple and it seems to have swung around a little bit. Where do you think we sit in the you know from your perspective and the market makers' perspective on on that side of things? Yeah, look, look, it's a tricky, it's a good question. You know, if I Flash back to the early parts of my career. It was a it was a pretty big market, pretty liquid, and yep. Australian market always like that. Um, you know, it, there's various reasons why, perhaps that you know we, we're not at a point we'd quite like to be in terms of volumes in the market, um, and that's just you know partly can be yeah you know, I won't won't go into that, but I think you know we're at, at a point where possibly we've we've sort of you know, it hasn't been great, um, but we sort of plateaued a bit. And I think, you know, I, I think the more you see articles that sort of highlight how how effective these products can be, and people understand that, um, and they and they start to use them. I think that's that's where you start to see a, a real uptick in the product. And you know, at the moment, we're probably sort of restarting and, and rebasing a little bit locally. Um, yep. I think it's you know we. If you look what's happened globally with the options market, it's absolutely going gangbusters. So it yeah. is it is somewhat frustrating that we're that we're not seeing a massive uptick and we're not you know we're not charging ahead. But um, I know that's something the ASX is working on, and you know we're doing our bit to ensure that um, you know we provide the liquidity. And if someone's there to trade, um, then you know they'll they'll be able to get set in the market. And, and the important thing for you know for people trading the market is that it's not only just if they're buying an option, they want to be able to know they can sell it at some point as well, or roll it, or you know, spread it off, or do whatever. And yeah. that's the, that's sort of a crucial, a crucial element. So you have to have the liquidity in the market. Yeah. So look, I think things are you know we've we've sort of hit a level, and I hope that um, you know I'm optimistic that in the next in the next couple of three years with the ASX's uh, input as well, and you guys, um, and your indeed your your clients and the you know the the next the next generation of traders will be this will be something they want to be involved in and it's a good product and it's it just needs to be understood better I think it's a big thing Patrick yeah yeah do you, I mean do you think that um, you know I guess years ago there weren't as many alternatives people will trade Bitcoin CFDs you know FX um, and, you know that broader range of products um, that are available to traders so do you think that has had an impact on um, uh, the the overall participation in the ETOs? Yeah, I think so, 100%. 100%. Yeah, 
and I think you know we got these sort of um, I guess Delta One sort of products. So thing like a CFD or a binary option, it's pretty it's pretty easy. You just put your money in, and you, and you're either going to you know there's no lose it. yeah <laughs> and and lose it. Correct. Thank you, Ivan. Um, <laughs> But Rob, I don't, I don't think uh, I don't think CFDs are going to exist very soon, based on what the ASICs. Well, I noticed the big changes. You know, the ASICs come down on on that product. There's a lot of money lost, yeah. and it's interesting. You sort of people say they don't understand options, but I think you know a lot of ways CFDs are a, a bit of an unknown as well in terms of how how the payoffs mm-hmm. work. And at least so. with an option, you, if you own it, they're, they're easier to participate in a CFD. Uh, I don't think they're easier to understand. <laughs> um, as a yeah, you can just happen to them. They'll, 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 allow you, they'll give you the leverage and away you go. But I think with the mm. options, you know, you can't buy a two-month option. You've got that for two months. There's no, you know, if you're paying, you know what you're paying, you know the premiums you're outlaying, you know what you're, and if you've done your homework, you know what your payoffs will be. So that's, yep. the, that's, that's the beauty of options, and that's why they've been so popular in the U.S. over this period, particularly in those sort of tech names and... Um, yeah, you've, it's been well documented what's going on over there. Yeah. Um, Paul, um, this is probably not so much a question for yourself, Rob, but Paul, I'm going to ask you a question before I answer your question. How much are you paying, Paul? Um, just so that I can understand, because that obviously impacts my answer to you. Um, I, well, while Paul's responding to that, I'll just ask, um, what could you talk to the factors that impact um, the pricing that we're getting on, on on options, and what I mean by that is, you know, we might if I'm trading a a, a certain stock, um, I might find it difficult to get billed on a trade, more expensive based on what, what I think the fair value is, um, than on other stocks or different strikes and so forth. Could you talk through some of the factors that um, that impact, or you know, that 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 a, that a market maker is considering uh, when they're doing their when they're pricing things up? Yeah, and it's probably it's quite a it's quite a good timing to sort of ask that question because a lot of the focus at the moment is on what's on the on the election next week, um, and this sort of goes to the pricing of options. Is it's that it's that management of risk. So if we're a market maker, we're in the screen, we're offering you know what what are we factoring in that could possibly happen next week? Could the market fall ten percent? Could it rally ten percent? So if we're selling an option that. Um, might imply a two to three percent move. We're going to be pretty cautious, perhaps. Um, so it depends on the situation. But that's the big thing is the, is the actual volatility, and that's a large part of the premium. Obviously, the times the time to expire is another factor because you get longer for the option to um, to become in the money or trade out of the money, depending on what you're doing. And um, and I think, but you know, if you look, Patrick, back to um, you know, I was something I was sort of thinking about today was, you know, the, often the more extreme, you know, the, the, the vol event, the longer volatility will stay at a higher level, which means the premiums are higher in your options. And I think that's sort of a case of sort of looking at some numbers before our conversation and, yep. you know, some of the vols and some of these single stock names are still 60 70% higher than where they were back in early February before the sort of the COVID meltdown in March. So... As you can imagine, like you know, one of the other, as I said, one of the other factors is forward-looking, you know, implied volatility. What what is what could move the stock price or what could move the index, and that's so that's a big factor. I mean, there's other aspects in there, which are probably not particularly relevant to this conversation, sort of in terms of our funding and also dividends and, and things like that, which can change the pricing. But I think the, the one takeaway is the more 
the more risk that's priced into a into a stock, the higher the premiums will be in that name. And that's probably the that's probably the most simple takeaway in terms of what we look at when we're pricing. How are you seeing that, Rob? For um, where uh, sort of how is the election premium? I guess, uh, and maybe how does that compare to two thousand and sixteen? Um, yeah, have you have you seen anything interesting in there? Yeah, look, I mean, there's certainly the shorter dated optionality is is implying that we're going to see some sort of move. Um, you know, we've seen in terms of flow just across the market, there's been people chasing protection on their portfolio. There's also been those looking to overwrite or um, take a directional view. So there's a few. There's a, well, I think I don't think people really know what's going to happen next week. And you know, Trump. I think the difference this time around is Trump was. Um, you know, it was an unknown entity last time. Um, no one gave him much chance of winning it. Um, and then, sure enough, on the on the day he did win it, and I think from memory, the market was down 4 or 5% and then rallied sort of 7 or 8 9% from the lows. So there was some pretty big moves yeah, over the days. <laughs> that it just kept rallying ever since. Yeah, yeah, just a, just a standard March day for us these days. But, um, yeah. Um, so what's, what's implied at the moment is that we are going to see some movement next week. Um how that sort of carries on through the market into the back end of the year options would probably suggest that it's you know it's it's a it's a short to medium term bit of volatility and then we'll 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 meander through and work out what's going to happen whether it be Biden or Trump back in charge. Hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think the markets are pricing in at the moment? Are they pricing in uh, one way or the other? Oh, I, I don't. I don't. In all honesty, I think markets are just pricing a move. Is typically what um, what would happen. Um, I don't. You know, you can look at this. You can look at the downside and see if that's particularly more bid up than the upside. But you know, vols. The shorter dated vol, just the at the monies. It's just saying well, there's going to be a move. And at the moment, we're sort of saying, well, it might be two, three percent. Depends. And what happens typically is the is the closer you get to the day the higher the vol will get, and the premiums will reflect that. Um, so at the moment, yes, vols are up, but they're not necessarily implying a stupendous move. But if you fast forward to next, probably Monday, Tuesday, our time, I suspect you might you might see them continue to increase. And it depends what the polls will um, chuck out as well, because if Biden's, I'd look at on one of the betting um, online betting sites, and he's paying a buck forty or something, and Trump's two eighty, so. At the moment, he's a pretty pretty firm favourite, so you know that takes a little bit of the little bit of the volatility up. Um, but obviously, there's that outlier that the polls have got it wrong again. Yeah, they've been they've been doing a uh, a good job of that lately. Uh, yeah, in almost <laughs> consistently wrong. Um, you know, that, interestingly enough, one of the things that um, so we've got we've got someone who works in our company. Actually, two people in our company uh, are sort of die hard. Uh, Trump supporters, um, and uh, everyone else kind of laughs at them. But both of them happen to be sort of probably in the top five people of intelligent people in our company. So it's kind of hard to uh, to go and argue with them. But yeah, yeah, well, that conversation it's going to be a bit of a, a family wrecker. That one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But on that, um, interestingly, you know, one of the things that was sort of um, that they've, they've alluded to as we're getting close. And I started watching some of these um, rallies, um, you know, or at least for, for one of the guys, it's a rally. For the other guy, it's 
kind of, you know, one guy screaming in a teleprompter. But interestingly enough, you know, one of the indicators that they look at is that, you know, how many people attend your rallies. Mm. And obviously Trump's getting big crowds. Um, and apparently only once in the last 100 years or whatever that's failed, um, along with a couple of other indicators. It'll be interesting to see, is the mar- I mean, from what I understand, the market is pricing in Trump. And um, I also, I think Comsec released a report that was saying that apparently, like the, you know, the, there's a massive amount of volatility priced in, um, potentially the biggest uh, event risk priced in in, in the November options. Um, mm. Are we just going to have a repeat of 2016 when when Trump wins? Well, I mean, it was a pretty positive event in the end. I mean, it was initially negative, right? It was. Um, it was. A, I mean, Japan was down. Are you trying to say oh, that you guys made a lot of money? <laughs> what's that? Are you, are you trying? Are you trying to say that you guys made a lot of money on uh, on that day? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. Like, I'm just, you know, it's more, it's more an observation that when, you know, we, you know, our, our business is at risk, right? Like, so it depends. You know, you, you've seen it. You've seen it all before, where someone comes in and buys some downside, and they happen to get it right on the day before these events, and you know, our jobs to sort of. I guess manage that risk, and and you know we're not we're not adverse to 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 you know taking risk. That's what we do. That's what we're paid to do. So um, from that perspective, yeah, who knows? Look, I mean, I I think that's interesting from Comsec. I you know just having a look today, it's sort of you know I've seen bigger events than that before. But um, as mm-hmm. I say, we've still got a few days to go, and you don't want to be you don't want to be bidding this up right now and. Um, you know, it's a lot of decay if things don't, if nothing happens between now and um, now and um, sort of Tuesday. Yeah, there's no more polls or nothing that really shakes and moves things. But yeah. well, I did know obviously the VIX was up sharply. It's the highest it's been since September. So, and that comes off the back of Friday, which was also the one of the quietest days. So, there's clearly people sitting on their hands, and there's other others that are prepared to sort of have a bit of a go at the moment. All right, I got a couple of questions um, for you, Rob. Uh, well, first, uh, Josh, yes, uh, Rob's surname is Risk. Um, oh, pretty good surname for a market maker. All <laughs> <laughs> um, right, and Shannon, is the XO at the money spread between October thirty first and November the fifth calls a good indicator of the election event risk? I'd be looking at at what the what those options that expire next Thursday, which would be the day after the election, that's that's kind of what you're looking at. And yes, I guess the ones that are expiring this Thursday, I, I don't really know where they're priced per se. I don't have it in front of me, but um, you're certainly looking. You know, another way to look at it is to sort of look at what Mar- uh, what um, the week after the event. So you obviously can you, can, you just know there's no options that expire on the day. So the first, the first expiry after the elections next Thursday. So that's where you'll start to see people try to position, and then you'll start to see vol fall away. So if you start looking at December vol, you'll probably see that it's considerably lower. I don't know if you can, you guys can bring that up. If you've got that there. Yeah, I've got, um, what are we, what are we looking at here? A sixty seventy five at the bottom of my screen, um, and that's at twenty five for next Thursday. Yeah, no. I had a look today. There's, there's, there is a, there's definitely a difference, and that is a good way to, um, good way to look at it. Um, uh, and out of December, it's twenty one. 
Yeah. So yeah. You'll, you'll you'll see that that sort of that one week stuff will start to jump aggressively in the next um, yeah in the next couple of three days. Of course, it depends what people's view or people's viewers and um, but generally speaking, you, you start to see as you get closer to the event, it'll start to get bit up because no one will want to sell it, and if someone wants to buy it, you'll sort of start to be a little bit cautious. Uh, Shannon has got a question, and um, uh, I'd be interested in Rob's answer and also Ivan's on this. Um, is there an uh, industry standard for pricing American options? Uh, that might have to might have to might have to deflect that one to um, Ivan on that one. Thanks for that. Uh, so <laughs> uh, the question was: was was there any industry standard? For Americans versus Europeans, was that was that the question? Yep. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of I can I can talk about that for a long period of time. I'll tell you about what we use, um, and that's in line with what the ASX use. Um, and then there's this sort of broader research that's being done around pricing of options. But we use uh, the uh, the standard black shoals for the XJOs. Uh, they're all European. Uh, there's a constant so-called dividend on that. Uh, for the longer term, sorry, for the uh, Europe, for the American and European options for single stock, because there is a uh, what you know, sort of what you call a discrete dividend. There's no simple formula for it, um, so everyone typically uses the binomial theory uh, with some modifications, which allows you to. It, it's literally it's like a brute force type algorithm. Um, there's been a lot of progress done since then around options pricing, which ultimately comes right back to the to the Black Scholes model. Um, and there's been some sort of every in in sort of modern financial mathematics, there's been a lot of people trying to solve creating a simple closed form solution for options, uh, which is why typically they're so difficult. <laughs> uh, but um, the binomial theory, uh, which we use. Um, is a very accurate um, predictor of, of sort of options prices um, because you're sort of you're putting in a whole heap of different factors. You're putting in um, interest rate risk. You're putting in um, well interest rates. You're putting in dividends. You're putting in price. You're putting price expectations, probabilities, and a whole heap of other stuff. Um, and the way markets move is very different to how general probability works. There's a lot more fat tail risk in it. So um, there's no perfect solution for options pricing. Uh, one thing I do know is that our prices, when you go in and, and price up a combo, so for example, uh, the trade you've got on the screen now, uh, if you go in and, and try and execute that into the market, you're probably going to get a very close price to where, where our price is in the real market. Um, so um, I don't know if that answers the question. but um, That's good. Thank, thanks, Ivan. Um, I, now, I could go for another 45 minutes if you want. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just grateful you didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that, no, that was good. Yeah, and it's a good question. Like everyone good question. <laughs> um, now, uh, Paul, I will just... Paul has made a comment around options um, uh, commission, options brokerage, and... Um, and, and, and uh, looking at his pricing, I imagine that I, I know which broker he's trading online with, and we are substantially cheaper, uh, yes, than that uh, broker, and, and and most, maybe all, on options trading, and give you the ability to do your trades and spread trades online. But that's not a free 
uh, editorial there from Paul leading into his question. The, the question is that it's cheaper in the US um, and uh, or overseas. And, I mean, it just depends on a number of factors. And, Ivan, do you want to just make a comment on, uh, on, on our pricing model or sort of relative to the US? Because in many, many instances, it's actually cheaper to trade uh, Aussie market with our model. Yeah, so the big difference is around how we charge. We charge it based on, um, uh, yeah, thanks, Rod, uh, for, for uh, <laughs> stopping me. Um, but in terms of the, and reference to the previous question, um, in terms of our pricing model, so we have this weird thing in Australia where we charge per, uh, for, the, for the premium as opposed to per lot. Um, and depending on what you're trading, uh, one can be significantly more expensive than the other. So, for example, uh, the only place that I know of, uh, I think it's actually another place, but Interactive Brokers um, effectively charges you per lot uh, in Australia, uh, and they, I think they're the only ones to do it. If you're trading small size, um, that typically works out quite well. Uh, why we have a lot of people coming to us uh, uh, after they sort of start out with, with, with IB, aside from the platform actually being tailored for Australian options, um, is you've got the hidden uh, cost around the margin. Uh, the the margin is expensive. It doesn't work quite in line with with what with uh, uh, with how sort of the ASX works. Um, and typically, if you're doing protected stuff, it's a lot more expensive because they, they they sort of margin you on the on the so-called short leg, long leg. Uh, and then the second part of that is is that um, as soon as you start trading, you know premium around 10, 15, 20, 30,000 uh, in your trades, uh, it becomes a lot cheaper just to go in and, and, and trade based on size. Um, so do the numbers on, say, trading some Telstra calls. Um, you know, to get some decent size on, you, you're probably going to have to put on 1,000 lots. Uh, if, um, you know, if you're, uh, especially if it's spread, you know, double that, uh, and that, that becomes very, 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 very expensive. Uh, so it's very prohibitive. Um, We've the way we've done our pricing, um, you know, we uh, although we, we actually get charged per lot um, by by the direct broker, um, we've done it based on on premium um, to ultimately go on and, and um, uh, compete with with where the majority of the business is going, um, and that is around the big four. So um, it's a very different model. Um, our you know we've got some of the largest lowest margin multipliers in the market. Uh, which is the, the amount of sort of risk buffer there, um, and uh, yeah, ultimately um, it, it works out um, as soon as you're nothing more than a, or as soon as you're a bit more than just a, a direct beginner trader, uh, or if you're trading anything in sort of the lower sizes, um, you end up getting a much better price. Yep, but uh, Paul, yeah, you, Paul, there is some validity to what Paul's saying there um, in that the smaller new people coming to the market. Uh, see it as a barrier, um, but, um, you know, uh, it's going to be, you know, um, one way or the other will impact different traders. So, anyway, there you go. Brad has asked, I have trouble buying. Actually, Josh had a question up further. I'll get back up to that. Sorry. Um, I, anyway, I, I don't know where it's gone, but uh, it was along the lines of, when, or maybe it was someone else, um, when uh, go, putting an order in the market, actually there it is, if an order hasn't been filled immediately at theoretical value, how long should you wait before amending the order? And there's probably 
then Rob, I'll let you have a go. Hey, Rob. Yeah. So if tell me something. So if I go and and put put a uh, put a price up, let's say in a combo, and you mm-hmm. don't take it within thirty seconds, should I walk that trade up or should I pull it and uh, and put it back into the price? Do you guys have some crazy algorithms that can go out and pick up and get me a better price? <laughs> no, no, no. Look, I mean, it's all, yeah, we we just operate off what's in the, you know, what what we think is 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 fair value for that particular option strategy or whether it be a single line um in terms of, i mean I, I think and that's this is one of the questions that we often get is you know I, I sort of prefer to look at it in the sense that if you know what price you're happy to go to then you know try a bit lower and work your way up and get it done i mean i i the the and i think one of the one of the challenges of options is that the, you know the stock is still moving so if this thing's got a delta of 50 on it and the and the stock happens to move five or ten cents. You know, you you you're quickly you're quickly moving away from what price you were happy to get filled at. And depending on what the option spreads worth or what you think the trade could ultimately make you, maybe that maybe that extra one or two cents is simply not worth it. And you should just you know, you should just put it on the screen. If you don't get filled, just immediately start sort of ticking it up. Because you'll typically find, I think, you know, some of our some of our competitors, if the trade's good. They they will just they'll they'll snipe it straight away. It'll be filled immediately. So you can guarantee that if you if you're not filled straight away, that your your pricing is probably a little bit on the cheap side or too expensive, whichever way you're coming from. Typically, the way that I like to think about pricing is um, what is the cheapest possible level that you guys will cross me at, and I, it's so hard to find that. <laughs> well, We're going to figure some way out. Well, yeah, it's a, just a t- <laughs> yeah, it's we make a, money and you can run around. That's for sure. Be <laughs> uh, facetious. Is is there any, any other tips, Rob, that you can give people on um, time of day and any other sort of factors that might impact um, getting filled? Yeah, look, I, I think you. You've got to understand that if you're trading in a highly volatile market, you need to be pretty certain what you want to do, and you probably want to go straight to that point. And to my earlier point, you want to get filled immediately. Um, you know, if you're in a if you're in a Monday type market and it's really quiet and there's not much there's not much news flow or not much is going on, yeah, you, know, you can probably take your time and do a bit more evaluation on the trade. Um, and I think that's the, that's the trick. Like, there's no there's no set time. It's more a it's more a probably a state of the market. The market, like today, was down one and a half two percent. You know, it went down there pretty quick. A lot of the stocks just sort of meandered along at that bottom of the market. So you can probably think, well, well, that's not a you know, I can take my time. Do I want to do this trade? Where what's what's my entry point? What's my exit point? What's my you know what's the objective of the trade? So I think that I think there's that element to it. Um, I don't think there's right any right or wrong, but you you. You pretty much you want to know what you're doing, and you want to have your strategy set up immediately, and you you want to know what price you you're happy to trade at, and what your ultimate level is, because in fast markets you, you're going to get left behind pretty quick. Uh, Mark has asked, do market makers provide better pricing, i.e., closer to fair value, based on higher open interest for strikes, or is it based on delta or some other metrics? Yeah, that's a good question. Like that's. Um, I actually sort of was thinking about this today, and you know, if there's if there's a lack of open interest, and, and it depends what size you 
you're sort of looking at, I suppose, as well in terms of the size of the trade. But um, certainly, if you if you're trading in in strikes of open interest with large open interest, you can you can probably guarantee that people are willing to to trade more aggressively in those spaces, um, assuming it hasn't always been a one way. Um, and you, and you should probably look back and see if it was all just buying, then you're probably going to be buying something that's really expensive. But if it's been good two way in that in that option series and it's good open interest, it means that there's a lot of interest around that just in terms of actual trading interest. So, yeah, that is not a bad way to do it. The strikes above and below it, you might find traders are, you know, they might be short one strike, and if you're in there um, trying to sell an option and the strike below it, that's a good way to offset your risk, so you just spread it off. So there's those sort of considerations to make. Um, I think when there's, there's very little open interest and, you, and you're trading big size, and maybe this, you know, it, it makes it more difficult for a market maker because that's just a complete new risk in a completely new month, and you've got to work out how you can offset that risk and um, and how you run your book. So yeah, that's a that's a pretty good um, that's a pretty valid observation around the open interest. And it's a good starting point. Yeah. Um, the uh, Sharon is uh, at what level of theta should you typically think about exiting slash rolling a position? Um, uh, so, I imagine how much, uh, much money is left in the option, sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. That's you know, that's a that's. I guess you know what I've seen over the years is um, you often get uh, not not just retail but insto as well coming in at the last you know right on expiry, thinking that they can absolutely eat the last two or three cents out of an option and then try to roll it at three thirty on a Thursday afternoon. Which is not ideal. Um, you can guarantee your price is going to be rubbish. So, now I used to work in a, uh, as a portfolio manager, and we used we were pretty aggressive users of options. And you know, if there was even if there was thirty basis points left in the option, we would typically probably look to roll it. And if it was, and we and we sure as as Hang wouldn't want to leave it to the last day to roll because we knew having you know for me personally having had that experience that it was. You're probably going to get a better price when everyone's sort of really focused on the trade and they don't, they don't have 50 different things going on. And you want to think about that when you're rolling all this sort of stuff. Because if you if you try to chuck your order in when somebody else is when 10 other guys are doing the same thing or 10 other girls are doing the same thing, then you're then you've got you you're really you're really pushing yourself you know to the limit there. So think about your strategy. Think about you know how much you've already made on the trade and just say, well, if I can do the same thing again and roll it now a day early, not run the exercise risk, et cetera, et cetera, then perfect. You just do it then. I don't think there's any right or wrong answer, but I, but I certainly personally found that when I was running my own money or running the, the firm's money that doing it in the days leading up to the expiry, if there's only a, you know, a couple of cents left in it, it was, what, what are you waiting for? It's just not worth not worth the hassle. And you often find that if the, if the stock was to go into trading halt or have a, have a warning, profit warning, and you think to yourself, well, you know, I just, I was, mucking around for two cents when I could have just closed it and moved on. Um, you'd be kicking yourself for that sort of thing. So think of the worst-case scenarios and manage it from there probably. Um, thank you. That's a great answer. Uh, David uh, is asked, if I am selling short an option, what should I be focused on, bid or offer? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're selling to the market, it's the it's it's bid that's going to come into play there. Um, and again, you know, probably goes to some of my earlier comments around what's your objective, what are you, what are you, you know, what are you hoping to achieve from the trade? Um, you're going to have to look at the bid. 
but again, as one of the earlier questions was, you know, if it's in a, a spot where there's good open interest, perhaps, you know, you'll get a better price as well. So maybe you get closer to fair or, but, you know, it's not often that um, having, and I, for me personally, having done this for a long time, it's not often from both sides of the fence as well. It's not often that you'll get filled on the offer um, if you're sitting mm -hmm. on the offer side. Um, so you, you've got to be looking at the bid. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we've always sort of had the mantra, fussy on the way in and, and, and uh, you know, desperate on the way out. Yep. Um, yeah. Choose your moments uh, and don't, don't, um, don't, don't be a dick for a tick is what we used to say. Yeah. <laughs> we used to say prick for a tick, but anyway, interesting. <laughs> um. All right. Uh, I'll ask you this question. Um, it, is there any adjustments, tips, say, I'm not really sure I understand the question 100%, but um, I guess is there any adjustment tips, say, naked options and defined risk? Um, so what, what are we asking there? Are we sort of saying, well, if you're going to be selling naked options, are there any tips around where we should be doing it or? Joy to bring your disclaimer up. Tip is, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, I mean, I think, the, the, you know, we don't, I don't, as I say, like, <laughs> the disclaimer there for a reason, we don't give advice, but you might you might want to think about what your risk appetite is and, and what your, you know, it's like anything when you when you model something, what's the, what's the, what's your maximum P&L loss you can afford and, you know, what are you hoping, what's your risk return? If you're yeah. selling options until if you're selling options in the next Tuesday, you may expect there's going to be a big move one way or the other. But if you're prepared for that, then that's great. Um, but if you're just selling them because you just think that's good premium and not really understanding your risk, then that's that's where you you know you really need to assess your um, assess your strategy really. Um, Peter's asked the question: Is theoretical price a reasonable trading price if there are no other traders in the market except? The market maker. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I guess when you're talking about theoretical price, I suppose you maybe would just call that sort of fair value. Um, you know, for markets, for the options, if the options twenty bid at, at thirty offered, you know, it's just call fair value twenty five. I mean, we as a business, we run our markets on what we believe the stock to be trading at so what our what our best guess or best estimate is that we expect the stock to move on any given day we base our pricing on the fact that someone may come in and want to trade on our pricing um, so whether or not there's other people involved in the market or not as a market maker we're in there to say hey we think this is the price and we're happy to transact either on the, the bid or we're happy to buy here and sell there um, so you should bear that in mind with the market makers. That's what they they don't, you know, they're not necessarily 78. I think there's some 78 or 70-odd um, single-stock option names. I think we personally are a market maker in a lot of those probably on our own, maybe 8 or 10, um, and a few others where there's probably only, only one other market maker. Um, so as I say, we don't, we don't, with three traders, we don't really have the time to be trying to, nitpick and, and, and try and, you know, do things that are not giving a, a reasonable price. We just, it's just the price is what it is. That's what we think the vol, the vol reflects 
what we think the movements will be, and and then we go out and we price that and we price that risk um, for our books and and for the for the market. Yep, but thank you. And um, there is a list of uh, the market make which market makers cover what stocks as well. Uh, but the yep. ASX problem. Um, yeah, that's on the ASX website. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the new navigation, how to how to how to show up. If anyone wants it, we can send them a link. Yeah, you um, dig around. You not as not as easy as it was, but um, maybe that's from just the old habits. Yeah, I know, I know you guys um, are trying to make me feel better about my comment uh, in the in the AFR, but you know that that's not an excuse to to go on and bash the ASX website. Come on, guys. Uh, don't try and drag us down with you, mate. Um, we 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 know what you said. <laughs> um, the how did your apology go, by the way, to the ASX? Did they were you on uh, on on, on bended, bended knee? <laughs> Mate, just 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 like it always is. Uh, well, to be fair, um, what was actually written as my quote wasn't something that I was meant to say at all. Um, and uh, there was a bit of journalist work and, and a little bit of. Uh, my PR guys uh, feeling like they uh, they should you know add a bit of spice to a uh, to a story. So anyway, what is it? Any news is good news. Um, no, I agree with Rodney. Fake news. Fake yeah. news. <laughs> uh, okay, Trump. All right. Um, so uh, let me have a look. What have we got here? Um, Luke's asked, how tied to the U.S. market is the XJO? And what is the percentage in regards to... Okay, well, there's just two questions. Uh, Why don't we handle the first one? How tied is the U.S. market to the XJO? Are you asking that, Luke? Luke, if I take that question as a... Um, uh, how correlated is the XJO to the U.S. market? Yeah. Is, that, is, is that what you're asking? Um, yep, okay. Um well, yeah, have a look at a chart uh, against the two. Um, not not that correlated. I don't know, Rob. What you gonna... I think I think I, I looked at this a while back. I mean, it, again, it's probably different times. It's a lot more correlated than others. I think it was sort of seventy or seven, mid seventy percent or something like that, off the top of my mm-hmm. head. But um, you might be able to give me a better number than that. Um, you, might, you might tell me otherwise, but yeah, you know, certainly the, the US is a bit of a leader, right? You have to you have to look at that. I mean, if you just got to look at last night, US was down one point eight five percent, and we were down one point eight five percent. So you could argue that we're you know at times and at certain ahead of certain events, we're probably a lot more correlated. Um, you know, we we have the luxury over here of of the resource of the resources and all those sort of um, uh, you know big big industry in that space that kind of determines a little bit what direction we go or has in the past and that's probably that's probably what keeps us a little bit separated from the from the US um, so there's those aspects to it as well but as a, as a, as a lead indicator it's you know it's probably the first thing everyone looks at um, mm. so ultimately whether that turns out to be you know we're hundred percent you know we're clearly not hundred percent correlated but we are certainly correlated to it more correlated than not probably yeah, um, yeah. Day to day, I think uh, overall, if you look at longer term, um, I remember I, I saw some interesting stats there, um, where uh, I saw um, someone did some research on this 
Um, and I remember backing it up, but um, in the in the longer term, there's definitely a correlation. Um, but in the short term, um, there was something like if we opened up up, uh, then there was like a thirty percent chance or something of us actually closing up. So most of the time, uh, we'd, we'd close the the sort of the gap, um, and frequently that momentum would carry into the uh, uh, carry lower uh, or vice versa, which was which was interesting. I don't know what the stats are now though. Mm. Yeah. It's a good question. It's something that, you know, I think we all we all sort of think, oh, well, the US is down. It's going to be a tough day in markets. But, you know, as, as Australia has proven on multiple occasions, you know, you, it's not necessarily the case. And I think and I think the one thing that was always quite noticeable, and as an options trader, when you're, when you're carrying decay over a weekend, is if you saw a big down day on um, in Friday in the US, you would often come in Monday, and it would be it would be the opposite case. Australia would be down a small percentage, and you and you were thinking you you it was it was pay dirt time. You were going to make big, but um, it's like yeah, but there is there is a correlation, but I don't think it's 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 again as I say, it's a good starting point to see where the US is trading, but it's not the be all and end all. Um, Mark has asked Rob um, regarding spread trades. Do wider spreads attract less interest or worse pricing from market makers, um, or again depends on size, liquidity, etc. I'm assuming by wider spreads, are you referring to was that in terms of months, or is that in terms of sort of strikes within a within a stock and within one month? So, like a nineteen dollar strike versus eighteen or a non strikes. What's that? Strikes. Sorry, mate. Strikes. Strikes, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, look, I think it's more about liquidity and, and what's available and, you know, you get, as a market maker, you get paid to manage that risk. So it's how you hedge it. It's how you trade it um, that matters. If you're, if you're, if I'm personally long a put spread in, in a stock like, say, ANZ at $19, $19.50 and, and I'm short the 1850 strike. Um, you know, I could hedge everything today, and then, you know, halfway down, let's say, yeah, this makes sense. Tell me if it doesn't. But at 1850, I could say, oh, the stock's the stock's done enough falling. I'm going to hedge my whole book, which means that the spread's not worth 100 deltas yet, and I've gone and hedged my whole book, which means that I've effectively given myself some exposure when you get down lower when that when you hit that 18 dollars strike, which I'm short. So you've just mishedged it, and I think that's the that's the point. So we don't doesn't necessarily matter to us whether it's wide or or or, or, or closer. Um, again, it's how you it's how you trade it. It's the it's the key, and also you know it obviously helps if there is other liquidity and some of those other strikes, and you might mix it in with other positions you've got on your book. So it may take off risk or add risk or do whatever. But um, yeah, it's not. We don't. We don't. It's about managing the managing the position itself, really. Um, Samir, I'm going to actually. I'll just. Samir has asked why, with four leg options, four leg options trades. I mentioned the premium is cheaper than one leg, as currently showing. Uh, does the premium get discounted with more legs? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, 
Yeah, not sure. I, you might have to model that one yourself and look at it. Depends on what you're looking at. I think would be would be my answer to that. Um, but see that four-legged tray. I'm assuming he's talking about the one on the screen. Yeah, what's going? On there? Yeah, I which I did. Oh yeah, no, that's that's a four-legged tray. Um, so what do you ask? Boxes? What is it? I can't even. Whatever you're doing, cool, cool. Okay, you're doing a octanov and a not. That's oh, okay. It's a rolling a okay, rolling a spread there. Look, I mean that that there would be your your risk inherent in that trade is probably that um, one part of it rolls off and it gives you a directional exposure. Um, so at this point, two days out from expiry, you've got you've got your, your biggest risk is the expiry coming up on the 29th of October and then you're left with your position that's in November. So effectively your position unwinds. So whilst at the moment it might be a reasonable price trade, once you're left with one leg, it becomes um, it becomes quite, uh, you know, depends how you manage it again because your exposure will will completely go the other direction. Does that make sense? Like you're, you're just being left with one leg of it if you let that October leg roll off, if you don't roll it or yeah. don't take a new position against it. Yeah. So as such, that that's why it becomes cheap because you can effectively you're pricing the same risk, but it's just got a week different duration. So there, there you're looking at saying, oh, I'm I'm happy to buy the what is it, the sixty seventy five, sixty three seventy five straddle strangle, and sell the the October one, hoping that you know nothing will happen between now and Thursday, and then next week you'll get your bang for your buck. So you collect your premium in the short term, and then you you're paying away the premium in the longer term. Um, and you're hoping for a result next week. You're hoping for a big move that takes you outside of that either 60-75 or 63-75 range. Yeah. I think um, Brian, who did that trade, was hoping that it didn't go down as far as it did. Um, but uh, all right. So the let's have a look. Um, Eddie has asked, what's the most profitable strategy on ASX options trade? Is it selling premium strategy or directional move delta? Oh, look, I mean, that, you know, let's say we don't, each trade's very different, I think is the answer to that. Um, you know, I think when when we last spoke, guys, uh, you know, ANZ was around 19 bucks. You know, and this, this was back in, when was this, May, April, May when we spoke. And I think um, if you'd continued to write two-month calls over ANZ, you'd have been doing pretty well. Mm. Um, by the same token, if you'd sold calls over Afterpay when it rallied up to $27, four weeks afterwards, you'd be kicking yourself. So I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. You just, you know, you find your strategy. Um, I, I think... Find, um, find, find the right stock. Yeah, Eddie, I think, um, you know, the game we're playing, you know, what we're doing with, with, with options is where we get to use implied volatility um, and and bring that into the equation. And I think um, it's, it's sort of the answer to that question would be depending on your what, what, what IV is doing um, or your ability to predict it. Uh, Josh has asked, what's Rob's favourite strategy? Oh, 
No, to be honest, Josh, I don't really have a favourite strategy. Um, the money-making one? <laughs> the money-making one? Yeah, that's probably the, my favourite one. It's always been a positive <laughs> one over the years. <laughs> uh, Look, I think you want to, as I said before, you want to, you, you know, if you've got a view on a stock or, or an index, you know, and you put it on and it goes, and it goes your way, whether it be down or up, you know, that's... Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have a favourite thing. I think that's the beauty of options is that you can put on multiple different strategies if you've and if you've done your research and you've looked at the stocks and decided what you want to do and set your objectives. I think that's the that's the that's the amazing thing about options that you can really use these products to um, in so many different ways. So that you know, one trade yesterday might be very different to the trade tomorrow, but they could both become very profitable and they could be in the opposite direction. You know. It's a it's a great product to to really express a view, and you can do whatever you like. All right, I know there might be a couple of questions that we haven't got to, but we are ticking over eight o'clock, so we're going to call the session to a halt in uh, just one moment. Um, and uh, let's have a look. Let me see if there's anything that needs to definitely get answered. No, look, if you've got any other questions, you yeah, pose them back to us. Uh, if there's something urgent that you would like an answer to, and I'll drop Rob a line and get an answer for you. But um, uh, thank you to everyone uh, for making the time to come along and um, some great questions there. Uh, Rob, big thank you for you for taking the time. We really appreciate thanks. it. Love having you, having you on. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. And um, good luck to all the listeners. I hope you, you know, put the right trades on for next week. Beautiful. Hopefully. Ivan? And, and, and Rob, uh, we still have to, to cut back on though from uh, from uh, like a month or two ago. Yeah, you give me a, give me a call, Ivan. Had a few thoughts about that. I, I, I shall, I shall. I'm just trying to mute um, as my son is starting to howl in the background. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much, everyone. We'll see you back on next week for a panel conversation. And uh, yeah, cheers. Thank you. Cheers, guys. See ya. <laughs>